Episode 292, Teladoc Buys Lavongo. What are the implications for providers, employers, and the market? Part 1. Today, I speak with Bob Matthews and Dan O'Neill. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. This is episode one of a two-part show about the potential impact of the Teladoc acquisition of Lavongo. To get started here, in deference to the fact that we're all in the healthcare industry, let's agree on an acronym, shall we? Because I can't keep saying Teladoc Lavongo, so I'm going to go with TNL, heretofore. That will refer to the Teladoc acquisition of Lavongo. What is the general merged TNL pitch? Here it is. I looked at their investor deck. TNL is going to use technology to transform the experience of living with a chronic condition and provide a differentiated consumer experience. The merger will also create a consumer-first, data-driven, digital health experience that puts the consumer in charge. TNL will also translate deep consumer data to improve member outcomes and cost savings. Here's why I think that whole slide is the tip of a disruptive iceberg. First of all, we're in the middle of a land grab for patients. For my full land grab observational analysis, you can read the show notes of the Labor Day 2020 Encore episode with Dr. Joe Selby or listen to it. But Consider these intertwined points from the TNL Investor Deck. 80% of large employers believe virtual care will significantly impact the delivery of healthcare in the future. 80%. Also, implementing more virtual care solutions is the number one priority for large employer health initiatives. That's something. In the TNL Investor Slide Deck, slide 14 shows the TAM, T-A-M, otherwise known as total available market, that TNL thinks they're going to get. Spoiler alert, it's a $121 billion market, and they're coming for you, anybody who thinks you're going to continue to care for patients with chronic conditions all by yourselves. At a minimum, enter your new frenemy. Here's another reason why I think the TNL merger is the tip of the iceberg of disruption. (laughs) They talk about again in their investor deck, how they're going to be fully scalable across multiple conditions, including CHF and CKD, plus integrated behavioral health. And also they've been rumored to be courting MSK outfits like Hinge Health. So it's not just diabetes anymore. Here's another point, the referral flow. TNL are looking to start to disrupt the referral flow of traditional models. I mean, think about this. If they intercept the patient at the PCP level with Teladoc, then they can refer to a provider in the cloud, like Hinge Health or Livongo or one of the many behavioral health slash mental health services lighting up our skies right now. Or consider this, Sam in Pennsylvania. I might not want my prostate specialist to be a few hours away if I have to go there on the regular. But let's just say the specialist offers telemedicine appointments and now I only have to go there like once a year. Here's the point I'm making. Vertical integrations like the one that Teladoc created by acquiring Livongo is a model that has all the potential of vertical integrations in the traditional sphere. Captive populations are a goal for a reason. 
And having a digital front door could enable all kinds of very geographically dispersed competitors that traditional health systems may not have realized are competitive. Is this my hypothesis? Nope. TNL say it flat out in their investor deck. Their goal is to increase enrollment and utilization by referring individuals across Teladoc and Livongo products. Here's some other facts to throw in the stew that I thought were interesting. You got consolidated health systems right now who some studies show have raised their rates 23% higher than in markets with competition. And the outcomes of said consolidated health systems and patient satisfaction and quality, pick a measure, aren't any better as a trend line than health systems in competitive marketplaces with a whole lot lower prices. So you got costs going up and up meaning that as an equation, value is going down and down. Employers are getting pissed. Consumers are just done. You have Medicare Advantage collecting data and worrying about social determinants of health and holding providers accountable to deliver. If I'm an employer or a managed Medicaid plan, maybe an MA plan, Medicare Advantage plan, and if I'm in an area where the only games in town are wildly expensive, like 23% more expensive, with low patient satisfaction or whatever, even average, and half my star ratings are based on patient satisfaction. You can see where I'm going with this, that these virtual options that are are springing up might be attractive, just people paying the bills. In the show today, our lineup includes Bob Matthews, who can offer an interesting perspective because he is the president and CEO of MediSync, an entity doing some neat stuff in the cardiology space, also managing chronic conditions. He's also the VP of quality for PrimeMed Physicians in Ohio. So he can kind of represent the, the entrepreneur perspective, but then also the PCP perspective. Then we're also going to hear from Dan O'Neill, M-A-M-S. Dan is a consultant who spent most of 2019 working in the Senate on the professional staff of the health committee. And he tackled issues related to health cost. Now he's doing consulting with entrepreneurial physician leaders and also startups. You can always count on Dan for a great big picture assessment of what's up in the ecosystem. So as I mentioned earlier, this is episode 292, part one. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Bob Matthews. Let me ask you this, Bob. I'm fascinated by this. Teladoc just bought Lavongo. The other day, we're recording this in August 2020. And I feel like, you know, and there's been a lot of talk relative to who does Lavango compete with? If you ask me, you know, Lavango being a very familiar digital, just just in case anyone isn't, you know, a digital diabetes company, they have an app and some nifty tech. They have diabetes educators and and they manage diabetes in a virtual kind of way. Employers, a lot of times, sometimes plans, manage Medicaid, they have used Livongo in order to manage patients with diabetes. I don't feel like a lot of providers recognize the fact that Livongo is their competition. That if all of a sudden employers start providing Livongo, for example, and it's going to be even easier now that Teladoc is the front door, you know, so Plan offers Teladoc to, which is a um, telemedicine company. You just pay your copay. You can call a Teladoc doctor, you know, PCP in your in the comfort of your living room, right? And that Teladoc says, oh, I noticed that you have 
diabetes, so I'm going to hook you up with Livongo because that's also paid for by the plan or by that employer. Who just got disintermediated? Providers, right? Oh, I completely agree. There are a lot of disruptors who are coming at what I call the primary care space. Livongo and Teladoc as a pair are very much in that space. Whether Livongo is as good as they claim to be at reducing employer costs, up till now they've had a limit, which is they cannot write drugs. They can coach and encourage patients to do things, but they can't change the medication. In conjunction with Teladoc, they can. I, I suspect they will. And then they've mentioned that, well, let's go on and do blood pressure or whatever else they're, they're going to work on. They're going to say to employers, basically, your local medical group is terrible. It has a less than 10% blood pressure control success rate. They charge all kind of money. So you might as well just do it through us. And this is the beginning of what I think will the health delivery system in the U.S. be disrupted. And I strongly believe it will. Whether I think Livongo and Teladoc are best positioned or not, I don't, you know, that's another story. But somebody will. And there's going to be lots and lots and lots of dollars invested in finding these ways. Yeah. And you had mentioned marketing. And I think this is something which is both intriguing and horrifying sort of all at the same time, where Livongo's U.S. sales this year were with $300 million. $300 million right. that some PCP probably or, or endocrinologist didn't get. No, actually. So for those $300 million, those were above. Basically, Livongo's, I think, 90 bucks a month. Most of those patients still saw a physician two to four times a year without crises. So the doc got his or her money and Livongo got their money as a plus up. With Teladoc, the four visits could be reduced or eliminated potentially. But up till now, and the primary care doc could say, wow, I can get them in and out of here faster. Somebody else is taking care of all this messy stuff about whether they're good diabetics or not. Do you believe, though, like this is where my consternation sort of lies and where I think the major disruptive potential lies. And that is Livongo has a, a gorgeous selling deck. They have a lot of charts and graphs. They're gorgeous. I've seen them. They go in and they say to an employer, look, I got stats, irrespective of how accurate they are or whatnot. They have charts and graphs, which strongly suggest that there's amazing ROI, that their net promoter score is amazing. So everybody loves, it's a huge employee benefit, you know, like all these good things. And now with Teladoc, as you said, there's a potential there to reduce the visits to community providers. You go talk to a community provider and you say, hearkening back to things that you've said and said earlier, Bob, you know, what's your numbers? How well do you do controlling blood pressure? How well do you do controlling diabetes? And, you know, you kind of get question marks. It may be because the data is siloed and somebody else has the data. So the provider kind of maybe doesn't know. But I feel like there's going to be an issue here because a disconnect between provider organizations who now are in a position where they sort of have to sell their services because they're competing against someone who's a really good marketer versus these really good marketers who may not be as capable of controlling chronic conditions as you, as you kind of suggested, but are able to communicate in a far more effective way, in a way that employers will pay for. Do you see what I'm saying? 
So if community-based primary care was really great, there wouldn't be a need for Livongo. Why would you pay an extra $90 a month? And last I checked, we're having 12 of those months a year. If your diabetics were optimally controlled and costs were reduced. The truth is that the local delivery system isn't doing a good job. And Livongo only has to do a better job, not necessarily a great job. You know, we can debate whether the Livongo claims about ROI and all that are legitimate. And I hope over time that they are carefully measured and tested by smart people. But in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king and gets paid 90 bucks a month for being there. So most of these systems are blind. They, they couldn't tell a local employer or a national employer what their outcomes are. They don't know. And if they did know, they aren't good. And so they opened a door to Livongo, which is exactly how disruption happens. Given this, those PCPs, endocrinologists, maybe even cardiologists who are currently doing FFS very well, thank you very much. Is this an opening salvo, really, for PCPs, endocrinologists to really start to think about and measure their performance because they're now competing against entities that are doing so. Absolutely. I think, and it's not just Livongo together with Teladoc. I mean, if you read all of the PR about the CVS acquisition of Aetna, what they said was, and I don't think they know how to do it yet, but they're working on it that we're going to take over chronic disease management. Why? 75% of the spend. You know, the old famous, they ask Willie Horton, why do you rob banks? It's because where the money is. The Optum move with Optum uh, Health is very much oriented in the same direction. There are quite a number of efforts for people. And what is, I guess they call them chop shops, where they would steal cars and then take them apart. A lot of these people have very clear plans or wishes to take these large health systems and literally cut them into pieces. And I think we'll see whether that happens. But if I were in a large health system business, I would be very worried unless I could show the local or regional people that I serve that were really good at chronic disease or that were really good at uh, some of the other drivers of cost. That is so far not what they're worried about. There's, you know, the famous story about the frog in the pot of water on the stove. If you just increase the temperature gradually, they don't ever notice. And at some point they're poached. I think that Livongo is more uh, heat on that pot. Lots of people are coming at them. And I suspect that more than one will be successful. And it's it's interesting how few health systems and even, you know, ambulatory provider organizations recognize that their major competition might not be the doctor down the street. Right. Exactly. Yes. And and that's historically what you worry about. Exactly. Talk a little bit about MediSync. Many years ago, we decided to be very focused on the chronic disease space and to get our groups into as much risk or performance-based comp as possible, which we've done. We've recently begun to unfold an AI solution that helps do enormous amounts of computation about selecting optimal medications for the leading chronic diseases like blood pressure and heart failure and lipids and diabetes and asthma and the like. When we put these into place, our group's performance is 
exponentially. We're in some areas, I think blood pressure at this point, we're the best group in the country. I assume there's a Metasync.com. There is. Bob Matthews, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. It was great to be here. Dan O'Neill, welcome back to Relentless Health Value. Good to be back with you, Stacey. Thanks for the invitation. All right. So today we are speaking about the Teladoc slash Lavongo merger acquisition. I'm not exactly sure what you call it. But what I'm really, (laughs) really interested to hear from you is, let's just start here. What is the situation analysis? If you're just going to kind of like sum up the goings on at this exact moment in time, how would you summarize? I'd say you have a blockbuster merger in the world of digital health or health tech. You've got what is essentially a, a very large kind of mass reach virtual care player in Teladoc that has something like 40 million unique members uh, in the U.S. that have access to, to virtual care through Teladoc, combining with a specialty-focused player in Lavongo that serves two orders of magnitude fewer patients, somewhere between, I think, three, 400,000 diabetic patients today. But in exchange for that, it has sort of much higher dollar impact because there's more medical spend for diabetics, there's more care that can be improved. So you have this coming together of what is sort of a very lightweight front door, but with very broad reach in Teladoc, with Lavongo, which is also a virtual care player, but that goes much deeper into the sort of care delivery stack for a much smaller, narrower slice of members. And how does this evolve? If I asked you the same exact question, say, two years from now, what's different? So I think you have a couple of things. One is... Clearly, there's a sort of competitive threat for horizontal competition, whether it's a, a doctor on demand or American Well or some other sort of equivalent to Teladoc, and probably likewise for other players that are selling similar diabetes manager, management or chronic disease management into employers, because there's, a, there's, a, there's an obvious sort of cross-selling opportunity here. Teladoc and Lavongo have both been pretty effective commercially. They both have a pretty big footprint with employers and can go further. Moreover, Teladoc has has reasonable traction in Medicare Advantage. And people forget there's only maybe 5 to 10 million diabetics in the commercial population. There's probably another 5 to 10 in Medicare Advantage and then more in sort of Medicare fee-for-service. And so to a significant extent, Teladoc can open doors for Lavongo, and there are probably cases where Lavongo can open doors for Teladoc. So I think in the immediate sense, that's kind of the, the sort of horizontal competitive effect. Over, uh, say, two- to five-year horizon, I start to think about this more as a vertical integration play in the virtual care space that is conceptually not that different from what we've seen traditional hospitals and health systems attempt when they're acquiring or affiliating with primary care groups to capture the referral stream so that those referrals can go to our cardiologists and orthopedic surgeons that are also in the health system's orbit to ensure then that those procedures and the higher value care when you're dispensing drugs and that sort of thing happens within the hospital's walls, right? So they're, they're vertically integrating to capture patients in the traditional healthcare system. And one way to understand the, I think, the plausible evolution of the Teladoc-Lavongo combination is a similar trajectory just in virtual care, where you now have a primary care layer in Teladoc that is already starting to work on, on sort of helping patients navigate to certain sites of care and now has a particular specialty provider embedded 
there and so can make referrals into the Livongo programs for diabetics or hypertensives in a way that shifts this sort of higher dollar spend into a into the virtual arena. Considering that Teladoc has also intimated, let's just say that they may be interested in doing additional acquisitions like into the muscular skeletal space, for example, and Lovongo has intimated and maybe even moved forward with programs in, you know, cardiology, et cetera. This model of in the non-virtual space, they call it captive populations for a reason. <laughs> Because, you know, once you capture the population, they're kind of like yours. And that actually is causing some immense issues for like pharmacies, for example, that aren't owned by a PBM. So there's certainly a precedent for what you're saying. I think so. And certainly things always move relatively slowly in healthcare compared to other industries. But, but I think this is something that we could see play out over, over reasonably the next five years in some ways, if you look at Teladoc on a standalone basis, or, or really a lot of these kind of independent uh, telemedicine providers, they're sort of virtual urgent care. And the visits are cheaper than an ED visit or an urgent care visit. And so that's really what they're replacing, which is to say, Teladoc in and of itself, a big part of its ROI for employers is just the insane pricing in hospital emergency rooms, right? If those prices were lower, the ROI in Teladoc would also be lower. But by the same token, that means Teladoc wasn't, isn't by itself a huge threat to kind of traditional supply chains in healthcare. The referral flow that usually starts with a PCP and ends up at a specialist and then lands in a facility, right? But when you start combining these virtualized specialist clinics, whether it's a Livongo or something like a Hinge or, or Kaya Health and Musculoskeletal, you can start to see how, how they're actually starting to replicate a lot of or potentially disrupt the traditional supply chain in healthcare, that referral flow from primary to secondary to acute care. And they're starting to put that in a kind of virtualized supply chain. And that could be a much more, I think, direct sort of competitive challenge to traditional specialists. You're right, I think, to point to cardiologists, endocrinologists, potentially orthopedic surgeons. And you can just imagine this sort of rolling out gradually into, into other specialty areas. Yeah. In fact, I was just going to go there myself. You had mentioned when we were talking about disruption and this, how that could impact the situation analysis early on, you said something along the lines of this is going to impact anyone that's trying to sell chronic care management into an employer. You know, like employers paid Lavongo hundreds of millions of dollars this year to manage patients with diabetes. So, you know, obviously we're not talking about a marginal player here. For sure. If I'm in a provider at the two to five year mark, say I'm an endocrinologist, you've got a Teladoc Lavongo who is in pitching employers successfully, if their current track record is is any prediction of the future, to use the Teladoc Lavongo virtual services and, you know, now with Teladoc, before Livongo couldn't prescribe drugs, but now with Teladoc, they, they can. Do I see my core business diminishing, my commercial patient base? I certainly think you see a threat of that. It's likely sort of the, the frog in the pot and the water is getting a little bit warmer. So I, I don't know that, you know, next quarter or this year, you're going to see some impact on your patient flow. But I think over the next several years, you have to start thinking about Livongo or Hinge as, just to take two examples, as effectively competitors for referrals. And in the same way that a traditional specialist group 
tries to attract, retain referral flow from primary care groups, they now have new competitors that are sort of virtualized. Competitors that have grown up selling directly into purchasers that are very focused on ROI. And so for better or worse, these competitors are very, and I think mostly for better, are very attuned to what the impact of their service is. And I suspect that if you went to a lot of traditional endocrinology practices, even large, relatively sophisticated ones, I would imagine most of them couldn't tell you if they're reducing medical spend. And if so, by how much relative to diabetics that are treated elsewhere, Livongo knows this number. It's $88 per month, right? Per participant, they've published it. So, so I think that kind of what you're seeing in some ways is a different approach to kind of building, marketing, and delivering the service, but which will be increasingly, I would guess, a direct challenge to several of these, these specialty areas. Certainly endocrinologists and certainly cardiologists, given where Livongo is already acting, I would argue orthopedic surgeons is probably the next big one, given what you see with Hinge and uh, Kaya Fizera, Sword Health that are all sort of in the same category and arguably trying to construct a similar thing. It's funny that you mention orthopedic surgeons because I just completed an interview with Dr. Steve Schutzer, who created a thriving center of excellence for orthopedics in Connecticut. And one of the things that they're doing is collecting data. They are assessing their impact. They're doing extensive cost accounting. They are doing ISO. They are doing, you know, contracting directly with employers, for example, or being part of bundles. Is that going to be, I mean, just with the advent of COVID, having a bundled option and value-based care definitely is, let's just say, more of an imperative for a number of different reasons. But is that also a deep defense against the encroachment of these virtual players. Definitely. I you know, I don't know the details of of his situation, but it's those those all sound like critical, important, valuable steps to be taking. The opportunity side of this is you have more and more PCPs you know, that, that operate in a in a somewhat traditional bricks and mortar environment, but which are are now at risk, right? This is sort of a glo- a growing pool. And this ha- this exists in all segments of the market, certainly in Medicare Advantage, certainly in managed Medicaid. It exists now in the employer space with players like like Crossover that are centrally capitated primary care for for the employer population. So in some ways, this if specialty groups gear up for this and they start building the capabilities to do this and working with reaching out to these at-risk capitated primary care groups, there is a way to sort of use the expertise that they've built up over time, tapping these referral sources and sort of shift it into a, into a world that's a little bit more at risk, that's more quality oriented, and that's probably more focused on the convenience and the patient experience, but also the interaction and sort of the what we might think of as the primary care interface, right? How primary care physicians can refer somebody to a specialist and ensure that that patient is seen right away, that the information that uh, then comes back so that you have sort of longitudinal effective management of the patient all things that are going to be critical for these at-risk primary care groups that they think about and care about a lot because they're on the hook for total cost of care. And I think the challenge or the risk for these for specialists that are not tapping into this world, that are not setting up their practices to compete effectively, is that they're now competing with a, with a Livongo in the endocrinology or cardiology space or with a hinge in the, in the orthopedic space. Companies that 
that at their core built themselves and oriented themselves to do many of these things, right? It kind of goes back to maybe our prior conversation where there's a real opportunity for specialists here, but there's also a genuine competitive challenge. So basically it's set up your own virtual network, your own captive, (laughs) you know, captive populations, because that's going to be the only probably viable, as you said, it's an opportunity, but it's also a threat. and, And the only real viable path forward is to come up with your own structure that produces equal or better value. I think so. And I think, you know, it'll vary a little bit by specialty for sure, right? There's there's some disease conditions that are more easily managed in a virtual sense. And then there's some, you know, an orthopedic surgeons is probably a reasonable example where some material slice of the patients do need an actual procedure. That's something that needs to happen physically, in person, et cetera, right? And so there is still an advantage and there's still a significant value to having that local on the ground in-person presence. But I think The risk is that if you don't get ready to sort of compete in this at-risk value-oriented world, that you sort of lose that whole layer of patients that need a consult, that need some advice, that need some care, where the PCP would like to involve some specialist expertise in the the patient's journey, but maybe they don't need the actual procedure. And if you, those orthopedic surgeons that sort of don't play in this new world, could end up seeing their practices just sort of shrunk down and down and down to the minority of patients that actually need to be sort of cut open. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, if I am a primary care group and I now have cost accountability, you know, I'm managing a full population of patients. Like, why would yeah. I Why would I even consider sending a patient to a specialist where the bill could be $8 or it could be $8 million? Who knows? Because they're FFS. Sure. Like, I would definitely be more inclined to work with a provider doing procedural bundles, for example, or episodic bundles, right? No question. Yeah, because the, these are going to be cost-aware or price-aware referral decisions if it's an at-risk primary care group. And so at a bare minimum, if as a specialist, you don't know what the cost will be, it's going to be very hard for these these at-risk primary care groups to work with you. So Dan, is there anything, you know, any overarching comments or summary that you would like to leave us with relative to the Teladoc slash Livongo merger and its impact? Yeah, I think probably recap by saying big mergers are always risky and a lot of them don't work out. There's a lot of operational challenges. That said, you do have the combination of a sort of front door for care with a very broad reach coming together with a specialty group that focuses on a couple of large and important and costly medical conditions and has data to back up its impact on patients with those conditions, specifically diabetes. That is potentially a very significant move for both the traditional and I think the sort of digitally oriented sides of the of the healthcare industry. And as usual, it's a sort of potentially serious competitive threat for a lot of the incumbents, uh, but also can point the way towards some real opportunity for specialists that want to transition away from pure fee-for-service and focus more on, on value. Dan O'Neill, where can people go to find more information about your consulting practice? They can always find me on LinkedIn, of course, but also my personal website is dponeal.com. That's D-P as in Patrick, O'Neill.com. Dan O'Neill, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. It's always a pleasure.
Don't forget, this is episode one of two. Check out the next episode, episode 292, part two, to hear the perspective of Brian Klepper, PhD, principal over at Worksite Health Advisors. He's going to speak from the POV, the points of view of employers. And we will also hear from Matt Anderson, MD, MBA, who is seeing the ecosystem through the eyes of an innovation leader at a health system. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.